1: Welcome into the Hard Count, the people show for every single thing that you know and that you love about college football. It happens here on a daily basis. The portal is open, it's officially open for business. And I would double-check on your roster because your favorite player, if he's not already in the portal, he may be thinking about jumping in and testing the waters. We have got a jam-packed show for you. I'm J.D. Pacquiao. We're about to talk about the portal's best available. That's coming in just a few minutes. But we have so much to dive into. Deion Sanders, he's in Boulder here very soon, or the way that he puts it, He's coming. If you don't know when he's getting there, he's coming. He made sure that was extremely clear. We're going to welcome on a very special guest on three national recruiting analysts, Josh Newberg, joining the program in just a little bit. Also got to talk about the other side of things in the portal. Because we talk a lot about the players and player mobility and who's going where. Who needs to be on offense from a program standpoint? Who needs to be portal active, as I like to say. Going to talk about that. And also, we still have games to play. Going to jump into the key battles within the Orange Bowl. You got two teams that wear orange and Clemson and Tennessee. They're about to get it on and pop in here in a very short amount of time. Going to break down the games within that game, if you will, when that one gets here. Also, Georgia, they've pretty much throttled anybody and everybody that stands in their way. Are they better than they were a season ago? That team that took home the national title belt, is this program in 2022, are they potentially a little bit more dangerous? Going to talk about that and break that one down for you. And also the Heisman Trophy. Whatever your feelings are on the award itself, they're going to give it out this coming, I believe it is Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. Is it still Caleb Williams' to lose? Is it still Caleb Williams for Heisman, even after he lost in the conference title game to Utah? Going to break that one down. Going to give you our thoughts as the finalists have been announced. You got C.J. Stroud. You got Stetson Bennett. got Caleb Williams. Uh, who else? I'm missing someone doesn't matter. Roll party. We're going to have a good time breaking down the Heisman Trophy Award. And if it is still Caleb Williams to lose. And also at the end of this whole operation, you join the party. The best thing we do on this entire program, go to the live chat. Nick Break, the keeper of the queue, get into your questions. Get those in right now so we can make sure we get to those most efficiently and most effectively. Very, very important. All right. Without further ado. Let's talk about the best available in the portal. Before we do that, dude, who is in the Heisman? Caleb Williams, C.J. Stroud, Stetson Bennett. There's a fourth one I'm missing here. Nick, you know who it is? Who's the fourth one? It'll come to me. I don't know, J.D. It'll come to me. All right, best available transfers. Caleb Williams jumped in the portal last year, went to USC, and now he's going to be up for the Heisman. So who is the best available right now? I want to make sure I make this clear. On3.com has a full ranking system of the players that are in the portal right now. So you got them one through however many that are in the portal right now. We got a ranking system for you, but I'm going to give you some of my best available. This is not a complete list. We're going to keep this segment going week in and week out. So make sure you're locked in here. Here's some of the best available. The first player that I'm looking at, Devin Leary was a baller a season ago at NC State. Got hurt this past year, but going into the season, a lot of NFL buzz, and deservedly so. 35 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, 65% completion percentage of 2021. Dude's a dog. Dude can sling it. And the reason why he is such an intriguing prospect in the portal right now, a lot of these quarterbacks that are in the portal have a lot of upside and potential, and you feel good about what they could be. Devin Leary is an extremely proven commodity. You plug him into your roster today, and he makes your team substantially better. Six foot one, 215. He's our number one uh, portal quarterback right now in the on three portal rankings. So keep an eye on him. Wherever he ends up at, that program will get substantially better offensively, at least to say the very least. He will be a huge asset. Really quickly, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, would love to have you at the party. All right. Also, the social channels. Make sure you're locked in at Judy Piquel on Twitter and on Instagram. Got something coming there very, very soon for you. We don't want you to miss it, especially on Instagram. All right? Next player I'm looking at, Jaheem Bell. He's listed as a tight end from South Carolina. The reality is South Carolina played him all over the field a season ago. Absolute freak show, okay? He's had 25 receptions as a tight end. That's a lot. Also had 70 carries, 73 carries rather, as a running back. In this offense. So a lot of South Carolina fans, the gripe of the entire season was why is number zero not touching the football more? Six foot three, two hundred and thirty-two, and can run. It's understandable why there's a little bit of a you know irritation level to why number zero didn't get more of the rock. His offensive coordinator, Coach Satterfield, decided to follow his former boss Matt Rule to Nebraska. And so Jaheem Bell. Okay, I'll jump in the portal. Gonna test the waters. There's a thought out there that maybe he's gonna come back to South Carolina. We'll see if that ends up being true. But regardless, whoever gets Jaheim Bell gets a player that can play all over the field. They lined up even at Wildcat quarterback at times this year in South Carolina, and a guy who can impact your offense and play on day one. Also played a lot of football, so there's there's no you know mystery about what he's bringing to the table. He's the number nine player right now in the on three portal rankings a guy that will help your program. So keep an eye on Jaheim Bell, a bit of a unicorn. Let's go back to the quarterback position for this one. This is from Nick Brake's alma mater, the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. How about Austin Reed? It's about six foot two, 230, kind of that NFL build. Dude can sling it. Talk to somebody at Western Kentucky as their fall camp was getting going. And you remember correctly, Jarrett Dagey who is a power five starter in his own right from West Virginia, transferred to Western Kentucky. And he and Austin Reed were going back and forth in fall camp. Talked to somebody from Western Kentucky who was like, I don't know what we're going to do with Jared Dagie because Austin Reed's a baller. Went so far as to say he's, he's a version of Brett Favre. Obviously, that's a little bit hyperbole, but he's that kind of a skill set. 36 touchdowns. Ten interceptions, bit of a gunslinger, 4,247 yards this season. That's good for second in the country, folks. Austin Reed, a guy who a lot of Power 5 programs are going to be calling here in the very near future, if they haven't already called him. Okay, So Austin Reed is going to be a Power 5 starter somewhere. There has been rumblings on Florida Twitter they would be interested in him. That is the fan bases. I can't speak for the program, but the fans are saying, We need a quarterback. Why not a kid from Florida in Austin Reed? Austin Reed also should be mentioned. He's transferred before, so he's going to be a grad transfer, but he transferred from a Division II school in West Florida to get to Western Kentucky. So he just continues to climb the ranks in the college football landscape. Austin Reed, a guy you need to keep an eye on. He's a top-five quarterback for us right now in the portal. I think he still has his best football in front of him. Is he as proven a commodity from a competition standpoint as Devin Leary? I mean, no, but the upside with him, he's one of those upside guys, tremendous potential. Really live arm, ball jumps out of his hands. He can sling it. I'm excited to see where Austin Reed ends up because somebody's going to get an absolute baller. Ra-Ra Thomas, Mississippi State wide receiver, jumped in the portal. He put up numbers a season ago for Mike Leach in that air raid offense. 44 catches, 626 yards, seven touchdowns. The most impressive stat to me, 14 yards of reception. That tells you Ra-Ra Thomas is an explosive wide receiver, whether it's with the ball in his hands, whether it's him just stretching the field and being a vertical threat, a guy who can play. A big body wide receiver right around six foot two. There's a couple of highlights going around YouTube right now with him just mossing different defenders, especially in the earlier part of that LSU game. I'm really excited to see where he ends up. And he's got a lot of programs knocking on his door right now. He's been one of the guys that has tweeted his offers out. Georgia offered him very recently. Tennessee's offered him. I believe Oklahoma offered him recently. I mean, there's a lot of big-time programs that want raw raw Thomas, and for good reason. Right now, he's a graded at like an 89 for us in the portal, so he's not necessarily a top-tier guy, but he's one of those sneaky receivers in this class that I think you need to keep an eye on funny we're saying the portal class but yeah keep an eye on Rod Rod Thomas dude's gonna be a dog his size and explosiveness is something that will make your offense better instantly Fentrell Cypress is a corner from Virginia he is the number one player right now in our on three portal rankings six foot 170s good 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 size was second team all ACC 14 pass breakups, he only allowed 18 receptions on the entire season. Translation, if you line up across from Fentrell Cypress, the reality is you're probably not going to touch the football a whole lot that day. There is going to Twitter rumblings. Ohio State sounds like they're going to be in the race for him. There's a lot of interest, again, according to Twitter and different reports coming out. Ohio State would love to land him, but he's going to be a guy that you can play on day one, really impact your secondary in a big way and really turn off, in theory, at least one side of the field. So Fentrell Cypress, a guy that a lot of people will be after, and right now he's number one in the on-three transfer portal rankings. Keep an eye on where he ends up. So to recap for you, we got Devin Leary, Jaheem Bell, who needs to see the football wherever he ends up. He's a freak show. Austin Reed, Western Kentucky quarterback, just continues to climb the ranks across college football. Ra Ra Thomas, he's a mismatch. He's going to make your offense better on day one. He's explosive. Got a lot to bring to the table. Keep an eye on where he ends up. And then Fentrell Cypress, a proven commodity corner from Virginia, broke out this past year. He's around the football a lot. And if he's guarding you, you're probably not around the football a whole lot if you catch my drift. So keep an eye where he ends up. Again, our number one player in the on three transfer portal rankings. All right. Now, a segment that I am extremely excited to get rolling. We talked about it a little bit in the office and figured it was time we, we got him on the show, got him on the program, if you will. So now, a man who needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. National on-three recruiting analyst, mm. the man, the myth, the legend, the goat of spaces, knows everything recruiting inside and out. Welcome to the program,
2: Josh Newberg. Josh, how we
1: doing, my guy?
2: I'm excited to be here uh, for the People Show. Here to party,
1: here to Roll party. party. <laughs> glad to have you on, man. Think we talk a little bit about Dion oh, uh, really? first. Can you help me out here with the Heisman Trophy deal? I don't know why I'm blanking on here. Oh, it's Max Duggan, CJ Stroud, Max Duggan, Caleb Williams, and Stetson Bennett. Okay, cool. You got it. Glad glad we got that locked in. I, man, that's that's embarrassing. It's not a good look. <laughs> not a good look. Josh, let's talk about Deion Sanders here. Yeah, because he's obviously, like he said, he's coming. He's bringing his luggage. That is Louis to take care of a few positions. Let's just
2: tee it up with this man. Is Deion Sanders about to just body the portal? I believe so. And I talked to a source at Colorado who's no longer there because the entire staff has now been let go. But on Sunday... About 12 hours into Deion Sanders' tenure at Colorado, he told me that his DMs were blown up like he'd never seen before. Over 200 recruits and transfer portal prospects had reached out, said, quote, I've never seen anything like this in my time at Colorado. Now, of course, not all of these players are going to ultimately transfer to Colorado, right? Not all 200 of them. However, it's just interesting to see because the, the average coach gets hired, there's some buzz around him, but you don't have 200 recruits reaching out within the first 12 hours. So, is Dion gonna body the portal? The short answer is yes, J.D. He is.
1: And his whole thing, right, is hey, I'm not hard to find. Like recruits, if you're if you're seeing this on social media or if you're watching, you know, whatever's happening on Twitter, he keeps saying I can't, I'm I'm not hard to find. Basically, like pretty pretty openly saying we're going to overhaul our roster. If I'm reading between the lines here. And I think the first question on everybody's mind is who's he bringing with him, right? Like, who is that Louis luggage that he is bringing with him to Boulder? And I just want to ask you this, Josh. We'll kind of get to the point. What's the likelihood in your mind that he brings the crown jewel of the Jackson State class a season ago, all everything, Travis Hunter?
2: Hmm. JD, I don't have a farm and I'm not a betting man. But if I was, I'd bet the farm on it, okay? Uh, Travis Hunter was live streaming Dion's introduction to the team saying, Coach, I'm coming, as if he could hear him. He's screaming into the camera, Coach, I'm coming. Uh, Travis Hunter committed to Deion Sanders. When he spurned his childhood favorite, Florida State, he made a decision that I'm following this coach. We both know he wasn't enthralled with Jackson, Mississippi and Jackson State. He went there because of the man that was leading the program. Now that man has gone on to Colorado, and I fully expect Travis Hunter to follow him. Now he's not in the portal yet, but once he is, I don't think there's going to be any question that he's going to follow Deion Sanders to Colorado.
1: And that was one of the things that I think I talked about a lot on signing day, right? Was, okay, this whole concept of people commit... To people. Like, I understand kids commit to the schools, and there is a lot of loyalty there, especially when you grow up, you know, rooting for a certain program or you have family there. Like, I understand that. But at the end of the day, like, it's a relational business. And so, for Travis Hunter, I'm 100% with you. I would be shocked if he doesn't end up taking his talents to Boulder. But with that being said, he's a guy that now will get to kind of reconsider some options. Like, Deion Sanders, I'm sure, will be calling him and texting him and saying, you know, come with me to Boulder. But in your mind, is there anybody else that, like, could be in play for Travis Hunter if we wanted to play devil's advocate a little bit here?
2: Florida State fans would have loved for me to mention that Florida State could be a contender if Travis Hunter does hit the open market. I mean, you could always remember the things that he said about FSU during his recruitment. He was committed to the program for nearly two years. Uh, But I don't want to even give that little sliver of hope to FSU fans that have already gone through it with Travis Hunter about a year ago at this time. So I think if you're an FSU fan, you continue to root for Dion, you continue to root for Travis Hunter, but I don't think that you expect them to be in Tallahassee. Now, are there any other programs that would reach out to a Travis Hunter? Absolutely. Remember, Georgia was, was a main player as well. Obviously, in the days of NIL, you could see a USC or Texas A&M try to make a play at him. But ultimately, like you said, this is about relationships, and this is about following up with what he started. And that was a journey with Deion Sanders.
1: And the whole conversation around what he could be at the professional level. like If I'm Travis Hunter, to have my head coach be the GOAT of defensive back play and a guy who played both ways in the NFL himself, like... It'd be very difficult to have a serious conversation with me to turn me away from a guy who's not just been a head coach, but it sounds like more of a mentor kind of role in, in Travis Hunter's life. So I'm with you. I, I think we're gonna see him in Boulder here in the near future, but remains to be seen. We'll keep our eyes on like the, the portal wire that is. The portal wire actually that's on, on3.com. Make sure you're locked in there, but the you know, the ticker that's always going on every other outlet, regardless. Make sure you're locked in with on3.com to keep an eye on when Travis Hunter does enter the portal. We will have it for you. So, Josh, the other conversation now around the portal, NIL. And it's a reality for every program. And the thought is, okay, the schools that have people that care about football, whether it's boosters, whether it's fans, like those are the programs that will have their ducks in a row and be able to knock NIL out of the park. Colorado, not to say they don't care about NIL, but this is kind of a a surprising Development to get a big name like Deion Sanders to Colorado. And I mean, in, in some respects, right? Because there's a big push now, it seems like in football, and there's a whole new uptick and in intrigue around the program. So, my question would be for you how competitive do you see Colorado being with Deion? in the NIL space and how do they get that done
2: Yeah, I I asked about Colorado's NIL situation and what I was told was they conducted a little experiment last year. The coach, the head coach wanted to see how valuable NIL was. So they decided we're not going to pay anybody NIL. We're not going to get into this NIL business because we want to see how important it is. Well, the results came back and everybody that they did not pay that was worth a damn left the program. Yeah. Yeah. So it was safe <laughs> to say tough, that NIL man. does matter. So that being said, I inquired about what was going to happen with Dion because Dion is a businessman. He's not going to step into a situation where he's already handcuffed from the rest of the country. And I was told that shortly after Dion Sanders' introductory press conference, one of the big boosters stepped up with a quote starter of about two million dollars to put into Colorado's NIL coffers. As a starter. Now, of course, ultimately, if Dion is successful at Colorado, the the money is going to have to come from big brands. And Dion has shown that with his mastering of social media and marketing, the big brands will come. I think that they needed a booster or two to step up and prime the pump. Prime the pump. But now, I think it's going to get rolling.
1: Yeah, and that's the whole thing that I'm interested in. Is like when you get deon sanders to be the front man and, and and the man running your entire operation as a football program like there's a lot of other attention that's outside of boulder colorado that you would imagine now is a little bit more interested in what they do on saturday so very curious to see how that whole thing develops because it's relational yes but also these kids want to get what they're worth and to some degree you're saying okay more power to them everybody's getting paid might as well be the athletes now as well and You know, that's the reality now with NIL. What's the pitch if you're in the transfer portal to come play for Deion Sanders from Colorado? Like, outside of just being Deion Sanders, there's the thought on my end, at least, that this may take a little bit to, you know, revamp. What he did at Jackson State was phenomenal. I think that's probably the blueprint that you lay for Colorado, but the reality is you still got USC's competitive in there. Obviously, Utah won the conference again this year, Oregon, like, What's the pitch if you're in the portal to come to Colorado in your mind, Josh?
2: I think it's similar to every team out there that didn't win the national championship last year. It's playing time and the ability to come in and build something special. I think outside of the one team that wins the Natty every year, that is kind of the pitch. I mean, you're coming to a new program to make history to be a part of something special. And oh, meanwhile, if you really play well for us, you're going to get more exposure than anywhere else in the country, and you're going to make money.
1: Pretty good trade. I mean, like, that's a pretty good pitch. I'm all out of eligibility, Josh, but that's a pretty good pitch to come and play for Deion Sanders, one of the best to ever do it in the league. And also the whole thing he's selling with, like, development to get to the next level. And it sounds like really pitched that I would imagine hard to Travis Hunter when he got him to Jackson State was, you can make the league with me here at Jackson State. Now being at Colorado, being a, a you know, just calling a spade a spade, another level up of FBS football, like. You can do that now at Colorado and prepare yourself for the draft. So I'm excited to see how it goes, Josh. It's going uh, to be a little bit fascinating. What was your thoughts on the way that he entered the, the yeah. sphere in Boulder, Colorado?
2: Uh, unique. There's a, the, when a new coach takes over, right, there's kind of one of two ways you can go. And most coaches try to address the locker room. They try to get everybody together. Maybe, maybe get them a little bit closer as a team, as a unit. Or you can go in and do what Dion did, which is be brutally honest to them. And, you know, at the end of the day, though, talking to somebody that had been around the program, he said Dion went in and said the right things. Because if he doesn't purge that roster, they're not going to be a good football team. They got guys that have been there for a while, that have bad habits, that maybe haven't been working as hard as they should. And Deion let him know up front, instead of waiting till spring practice, instead of waiting till fall camp to find out that you're buried on the depth chart, Deion Sanders told you in early December what it's going to be here. So JD, to you though, you, you've been in these locker rooms. You've seen coaches come and go, maybe not head coaches, but assistant coaches. You've seen these, these coaches come in and address the team. How would you feel if you were sitting in that audience listening to Deion Sanders as a player on that team?
1: It definitely segments the team. And what I mean by that is the the guys who are, to, to you know not put the right word to it, the guys who don't want to step up to the challenge or step up to the plate, that will, I think, cause them to jump in the portal or shrink back or get cold feet or, or feel unsure. I, you know There's a level of insecurity that probably creates throughout the program, but the difference is winners are – you know that th- they gravitate towards winners is what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. here and deon sanders is a winner and so essentially what he did by you know making the statements he did and saying you know th- th- there's going to be some new guys coming in here we're gonna do things a different way i came here to take over not take part like all that i think that the guys that are supposed to stay in boulder will be the ones that answer the call to action and see that as a challenge as opposed to a threat because the reality is Losers will see that as, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. I don't fit in. It's going to be hard. The winners, the ones who will be a part of the the winning programs that Deion Sanders is going to have at Colorado, will see that as an opportunity and, and be excited about that. It's kind of similar to the whole Bo Davis rant, if you remember that from, uh, I guess, a season ago when, you know, they, I think it was they lost to Iowa State, and Bo Davis comes on the bus and just... Used a little bit more uh, expressive language than Deion Sanders did in that format. But basically said, if you don't want to be a part of this, get into the portal. Now, Dion was a little bit more eloquent and articulate with how he said it and a little bit more uh, diplomatic in the way he phrased it. But I think that the sentiment reigns the same. If you want to win, if you want to be a part of something special here, you're welcome to join me. We're going to do things differently. It's not going to be the way that y'all did it because the way that y'all did it didn't work. So you want to be a part of something that I'm going to do here? It's proven. It's going to work. You know, if I'm Deion Sanders, that's my thought process. And uh, I think it'll do the trick, I guess, to, to put it simply. You're definitely going to lose some guys. You're going to lose guys either way with a new coach. But I think it's going to work, and I think it's going to keep the right guys around. But definitely, uh, definitely a, a way to come in, definitely a way to make an entrance. And if we know anything about Coach Prime, guy makes an entrance. Josh, I'll leave you with this. Appreciate you coming on. Folks, if you haven't yet, follow Josh on Twitter and subscribe to the channel. He has a show on here, The Inside Scoop. I strongly recommend you being locked in and following that for all the recruiting coverage that you're going to need as we turn this thing up in portal season question for you though, Josh, how long do you anticipate it taking with the transfer portal and with Deion Brigg and all of his guys potentially to get Colorado to being competitive, to competing for the PAC 12 title
2: two years? I think, I think, you know, speaking generally, the PAC 12 is a weaker conference. If you look at it, But if you look at it from Colorado's perspective, it's not a very weak conference. I mean, you got to face Utah, USC, Oregon, Arizona State. It's not a weak conference from their perspective. So it's not going to be a walk in the park in year one. It's probably going to be a little bit ugly, especially in that first, first quarter of the season. I think that we do see them become a competitive team by the end of the season. But I think what to your point, I think it's year two. I think by year two that this team is dramatically different. The roster looks dramatically different. I think Dion gets all of this coaches in place. And from year two and beyond, this thing's rocking and rolling in Boulder, Colorado.
1: That would be special because then you would have USC likely continuing their train. Utah, you know, Coach Whittingham's built a program, not a program, a program over there. Washington's been rolling. I mean, that, that would make Pac-12 football. It's already been a more exciting brand than I think people give it credit for nationally. But to have Coach Prime in Colorado competing on a national stage, I'm all here for it, man. I'm all here for it. When they make it the destination for recruits at the high school level as well as the portal level, which they're in the process of doing, things going to be fun to watch. But, Josh, appreciate you coming on, man. Appreciate you making some time. And uh, we'll do this again real soon, man. What do you say?
2: Hey, I'm going nowhere. As long as Dion's in Boulder, Colorado, I am your go-to guy for all things Buffs Recruiting. Let's go. I'm locked in. I'm coming. I'm locked in. He's coming. coming. I'm coming. coming. (laughs) Roll party. I'm coming. I love it, man. Josh, appreciate you, brother. All right. See you, J.D.
1: Again, the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Newberg. Follow him on Twitter if you haven't already. He has his own show on this channel. If you're not subscribed, we would love to have you at the party. Portal season is turning up the heat more and more. The portal is open for business. We got you covered here at ON3. On the socials, Instagram, Twitter. Make sure you're locked in with us, all right? Let's switch things around a little bit here. We've talked so much about the players and about, you know, player mobility and who's a good fit where, where should they go, how much NIL can they get. What about the programs? Again, not programs. What about the programs, the ones that are going to go ahead and win games in November, the ones that are going to compete for big-time bowl games, the ones that are maybe going to be in that playoff conversation? What about those teams? Who needs to be on offense in terms of being active in the portal now I want to make this clear there's a couple of ways to address the portal it's still new we're still figuring it out there's a couple of ways to utilize it the first is adding depth and we're going to talk about a few of these programs but a few of them need to just add depth at key positions meaning the operation is is functional there's a lot you can still get out of it but there is still a degree of gas you need in the tank to get to where you want to go if that makes sense. You need some more tires that are built for off-road than just speed through the months of September and October. The other thing you got to look at in the portal, the other position that teams are in, the other way to utilize it, is you got to just kind of fix what's broken. And I think a good case study for that is USC. Now, USC has some other extenuating circumstances as they switched coaches and you know had had a number of other things going on outside of just the roster. But look at what they did. They just revamped a 4-8 and roster and got them to the Pac-12 title game. Again, I know there's more that plays into it than just that, but at you know the thirty thousand foot view, USC fixed what was broken in the roster, had some special talent added to that roster, and was able to have a huge turnaround. I mean, like a seven game turnaround in year one using the portal. So a couple approaches there. But the programs that I think need to get active in the portal are as follows. I got five of them for you. Without further ado, the Florida Gators. Now, I think they have to fix what's broken at the quarterback spot because they don't have much depth. They don't really have a guy to go to unless you believe Jack Miller or Jaden Rashada is the guy to win you an SEC title, which is the standard in Gainesville. I think you need to look elsewhere. And there's a couple of guys that we mentioned already throughout this live show that I think could be a good spot for you to land or could be a good prospect to pick up, whether it's Devin Leary or Austin Reed. I think they need to add a quarterback. And... On top of that, I think you need to add some tools on the offense for him to throw to. Ricky Pearsall, at the time of us being live right now, has made no decision on going to the NFL. And he is a phenomenal receiver. He's a great weapon for whoever's throwing him the football. But if you just have Ricky Pearsall, that's a tough way to depend on him every single Saturday. So if you can add somebody in the slot or another playmaker out wide, there's some options in the portal to do that. So adding some versatility in your pass game... I think could be really dangerous for Florida, something I would look to do. Also, the trenches. We talk about adding depth. Trenches aren't broken, but they got to add some depth there. Jervon Dexter gone to the NFL. You need to be able to have some staying power when it comes to November, especially in the SEC, because especially in the SEC, it's a line of scrimmage league. How often have we heard Kirby Smart talk about that at Georgia? Big human beings are what win you national championships. Big human beings are what win you conference titles. Florida has some good big human beings, but they need to add more of them. So when you get to November and everybody's beat up, everybody's bruised, you have a couple of lines to rotate in and out to be able to withstand what's coming downhill from you in that run game in the SEC. So that's important. So the trenches and the quarterback position and the receiver position all need to be addressed. And the reason why I think Florida needs to be so active they've got a lot of talent still on that roster. Like the cupboard is very much not bare from a talent perspective in Gainesville. They lost three games last year by a one score margin. Okay, so the difference between six and six and nine and three in your first year in Billy Napier is astronomical. And I think a lot of it has to do with depth, especially on the defensive side. So you retool the offensive side, add some depth on the defensive side. You could be in a good spot in year two, under Billy Napier so keep an eye on the Gators really quickly if you have not yet subscribed we'd love to have you at the party this is your spot for everything transfer portal coverage everything recruiting coverage everything college football coverage and guess what it's 12 months out of the year we don't take a break around here college football doesn't take a break so we don't either make sure you're subscribed to the channel we have a good time the USC Trojans were really noisy in the portal a season ago with Lincoln Riley coming to Los Angeles bringing Caleb Williams going and getting Jordan Addison, getting Mario Williams with him. like There was a lot they did well in the portal, but the same thing is true about USC as was the concern at the beginning of the year. The trenches, the lines of scrimmage. Is that going to be good enough to win you a conference title and get to the playoff? And the situation USC is in reminds me a lot of where Oregon was in the mid-2000s, like 2013 or so, 2014 or so, where Oregon, tons of talent, especially on the perimeter. Super flashy was like the the verbiage we used talking about Oregon and how quick they went offensively, scored a lot of points. But every year, they would end up playing a really physical Stanford football team. And Stanford didn't have the athletes, didn't have the firepower offensively, but they were tough on the interior. And year after year, Oregon couldn't get over that hump. Until eventually they did, but they you know, sort of switched up the way they did things. That, I think, is, is where USC is right now, but their Stanford is Utah. Twice this year, we saw Utah kind of impose their will, especially in the conference title game. The first game was rather close, but in the conference title game, Utah just dominated the line of scrimmage, dominated the trenches, and it was very clear that there was the haves on the line of scrimmage in Utah and how much they had built there and recruited there, and the have-nots in USC. Who had, I think they had the Heisman Trophy winner and Caleb Williams, to give it a buck with you, but they weren't able to have enough defensively to withstand that Russian attack from Utah. So Oregon was in the unique position a couple years ago where they had to recruit, they had to out, you know, train in the offseason, add a lot of strength, and be able to hope they could withstand that with the same kind of personnel. Now, USC, is in a beautiful position where they can just jump in the portal, just like Publix, go down the aisle, shop for what you need, get yourselves a few offensive linemen, a few defensive linemen, bada bing, bada boom, we're good to go. That could be the reality for USC in this transfer portal cycle. That would be what I'm shopping for from USC. Because quite frankly, that's all that's standing between you and playing for a college football playoff. You had more firepower than Utah. You had better skill players than Utah, in my humble opinion. The lines of scrimmage is what lost you both of those games. And I think most of the people at USC know that. I promise you Utah knows that. So for USC, if you can fortify those lines of scrimmage, I think that's how close you are to to being able to compete, at least for national titles. And I would like you to do that this transfer portal cycle, as USC would like to, because you have a generational talent for one more season than Caleb Williams. That's the window, one season get some big human beings around him, level the playing field, go get some hardware. As simple as that. So USC would love to see them be active in the portal. A program that's fascinating right now to look at is the Auburn Tigers. Just hired Hugh Freeze in year one. Quite frankly, they don't have the personnel right now to consistently compete at the top tier level in the SEC. Some of that's due to recruiting and what Brian Harson didn't do. Some of that's due to what you had on your roster coming in and what you lost via the portal, whatever. The reality is there's going to be some expectations on Auburn in year one because we've seen different coaches in year one have a lot of success. Sonny Dykes in year one competing for a college football playoff, competing for a national championship. Like I know there's a different situation there, but the reality is we expect more of year one coaches now. And to make matters even more serious Auburn is a sleeping giant in the NIL world they're going to have the means to be competitive for some of these top players if they can go and get a couple of big time guys whether it's at quarterback whether it's at the playmaker position on the outside there's not a lot of positions that I don't think Auburn couldn't get better at it's not a knock on the current roster just the beautiful nature of the transfer portal there's a lot of opportunity for them to get better and they have the resources to do it So for Hugh Freeze, a guy who's recruited in the SEC for a long time, I would love to see them push the pedal forward, be on offense, and overhaul a lot of the roster to make themselves competitive again in the SEC. Because the reality in the SEC is a lot of it is Jimmy's and Joe's. Like X's and O's, extremely important. But Jimmy's and Joe's is most evident on a Saturday-to-Saturday basis on how competitive you are. And it's not like that in every league. Not to knock the Big Ten West, but you can have, you know, similar to less than personnel, but develop better on the recruiting trail, develop better in-house, scheme it up a little bit better, and you can, you know, get by. It's not the way that goes in the SEC. Not to knock any conferences, but Auburn, to improve personnel through the portal today is vital. And they got the NL to do it, so keep an eye on that. Oklahoma, at the beginning of this year, Had a lot of excitement around them. Brent Venables in year one, his first time being a head coach. He's coming back to Norman. There's a bunch of juice around the program. They had a nine and a half over under win total preseason in Vegas. Finished the year six and six. You could say it's a disappointment. I think that's reaching a little bit, but you could say expectations were missed. I think that's fair. They need to jumpstart the program. Similar to what I said about Auburn. Personnel right now is lacking a little bit and if you could jumpstart the program from a talent perspective that would be crucial to equate to obviously more wins next season and the reason why next season is so important is because they're on the clock now before they go to the sec and you have a little bit of an audition period right now for high school recruits the guys that you're really going to build your program with over the next few years to show, hey, we have something here at Oklahoma that you want to commit to before we get to the SEC. Because if you don't have your act together when you get to the SEC, at that point, you're swimming upstream. Like at that point, you're kind of stuck in quicksand. So adding some key pieces via the portal this year, getting to that 9-10 win mark next year, competing for the conference title, that would be a really great spot to be, obviously, for Oklahoma. And I think via the portal, that's now possible as multiple programs, especially USC, have retooled, jump-started the program, just like I said, and had success, massive improvements from the year before. So Oklahoma getting in the portal, getting active in the portal, is very important as the SEC That transition is coming here very, very closely. Got to have your ducks in a row. Got to show that you have a product that high school recruits want to commit to by the time that gets here. Last one I'll talk about, Nebraska. Matt Rule is a process guy, a trenches guy. Like, he wants to build a tough football team. The reality is for Nebraska, they don't have that right now. I have vivid memories of the very first week of the college football season. They're playing Northwestern in Ireland, and they're having their defensive linemen deleted from the frame. They're showing the screenshot, or I guess rather the, the shot from behind the line where you can see the entire you know linemen and, and the five, you know, five view if you will, the, the five linemen in front of you. Regardless, I'm seeing pulling guards just taking defensive tackles outside of my vision. They are outside of the shot now. That can't be the way that you get down if you're Nebraska. And that rule is not going to stand for that, and that's not what Trev Alberts is standing for. So if they can make Nebraska tough again via the portal, that would be vital this coming year. Because the fact of the matter is, on the defensive line right now, you are not good enough to compete at the level that you hope to. Casey Thompson actually had a pretty decent season. Trey Palmer, one of the better receivers in the Big Ten. Nebraska wasn't bad offensively. But they weren't able to do anything in terms of stopping the bleeding when their defense was on the field. So the line of scrimmage, especially on the defensive side for Nebraska, needs to be their new calling card. Would love to see them get active in the portal in that department. So to recap it for you, the programs that I think need to go on offense in the transfer portal are as follows. For Florida, get yourself a quarterback, get some depth in the trenches and add some playmakers to go along with that new quarterback and to play around Ricky Pearsall if he does decide to come back for another year. In year two under Billy Napier, there's going to be some expectations to have some ROI. I think you're close. A lot of pieces already. Adding some more would make you more and more dangerous. For USC, did great in the portal a season ago. Let's focus in the trenches this coming season, because that's the difference right now between you and beating Utah. And you got one year to do with Caleb Williams still on campus. Don't waste this last year with a generational quarterback because you don't have the defensive line or offensive line to compete at the elite level. That's crucial. So get active USC. For Auburn, the expectation for first-year coaches continue to grow more and more impatient. Not saying that's going to be the case for Hugh Freeze, but with how much NIL resources Auburn will have available to them. They have the opportunity to have access to some of these top guys in this portal class. And Hugh Freeze, a guy who knows how to recruit, make sure you capitalize on that if you're the Auburn Tigers. Personnel is not where it needs to be right now to compete in the SEC, but it can be if you get active in the portal. Oklahoma got to jumpstart the whole operation. Brent Venables in year two. We've got to see some better ROI. Got to have a product that's attractive to high school recruits to get them to come Norman so you're ready when SEC play does eventually get here for the Sooners. And finally, Nebraska, the trenches are a place of concern. Matt is not going to stand for that. That's not the way he builds his program. That's not the way that Nebraska plays football historically and going forward. Not who they're going to be. Have to shore up the trenches defensively to be able to do that. So for Nebraska to get active in the portal on the defensive line, I think could do wonders for the program. So those are the programs I want to see active in the portal. And the ones who end up being winners when this whole thing is said and done via the portal will likely translate well to the actual games being played next fall. Time to go shopping. All right, if you haven't yet subscribed to the channel, we'd love to have you at the party. Do this every single day, but we have live shows really quickly on Tuesday and on Thursday at this exact same time. One central, two eastern. So make sure you hit the bell. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss a minute of it. The live chat's the best thing we do in this entire operation. Want you a part of this, all right? Roll, party, roll. Also, follow me on the social channels at Jody Piquel on Twitter and on Instagram. Got something coming for you on Instagram here in the very near future. Gonna talk about that as we get a little bit further into this show, but you'll wanna make sure you're locked in there, all right? I'll leave it at that. The Orange Bowl is not too far away. And the beautiful part about it, the Orange Bowl has two teams that wear orange in Clemson and Tennessee, and we're going to get to our prediction on this game. Okay, that's coming. When the game gets closer, when we have a good feel on who's opting out and who's going to play and all that, we're going to give you our prediction, going to give you a winner. Before we do that, though, I want to talk about the key battles, the games within the game, because that's the reality of football, right? It's all about those you know, 11 battles going on within the game, that dictate the winner. So a couple of them for me. The first one I'm watching, Clemson's front seven against the stable of running backs that Tennessee has. Now, Tennessee, they don't have Henry Hooker in this game, and that is tragic. You're dependent on Joe Milton. You hope that Henry Hooker is able to, to get well soon and heal up, and you wish nothing but the best for him and his future successes professionally. But that makes the run game even more important for Tennessee. They were already a run-to-pass kind of program, but Joe Milton still you know getting his legs under him as Tennessee starter. To be able to hand the football to that stable of backs, I think that's the kind of world you'd want to live in. So we've seen them percentage-wise be right around 52% on the year. I bet it'll be a little bit closer to 60 as we get into this game. Now, for Clemson, they got a lot of players that will be on NFL rosters in the near future within that front seven. We don't know who's opting out just yet, So we'll withhold judgment, but regardless, their front seven play will be absolutely crucial. 3.3 yards of carry is all they're giving up on the season, so they're really stout up there. That's kind of been their calling card, being a physical bunch up there. If you can take away the run game if you're Clemson and put the pressure back on Joe Milton, that's advantage Clemson. So keep an eye on that battle. Clemson's front seven against the running back stable of the Tennessee Volunteers. Now, talking about the other quarterback in this game for Clemson, Cade Klubnik. They threw him the keys to the offense after the ACC title game and said, Cade, we're going to ride with you, my guy. Let's get after it. And he had a phenomenal ACC title game. Was like 20 for 24, super efficient. The team itself just looked like they had new life. So the matchup I'm watching, Cade Klubnik versus the Tennessee pass rush. And conventional wisdom would say whenever you have a quarterback who's younger slash more inexperienced, the thought process is, okay, we want to show him exotic packages in terms of how we're going to play him, show him something he hasn't really seen before on tape from us and confuse him a little bit. But even more than that, we got to heat him up. Like, we got to make the speed of the game feel a lot faster to him, especially early in the game. We want him seeing ghosts. We want him running for his life. That's the kind of game that could really benefit Tennessee if they get that going early. So Tennessee's sack total on the year is at 27. It's pretty average nationally. It's pretty average in the SEC, good for fifth best. But with Cade Klubnick being a dual threat, the reality is his legs – could be the ace up the sleeve where he's able to create and extend plays and just make some magic when the play breaks down, or he will have that as his crutch when you blitz him, meaning you blitz him a few times, you get home, and then guess what happens? The next time you line up in that same package, whether that linebacker's coming or not, he's a little bit quicker to get out of the pocket. And when he gets out of the pocket, he's off script. He's off that first read. He's on to the third, and he's you know all out of sorts. If you can confuse Cade Klubnick by heating him up, that would be enormous. If you can't get home, he'll do what he did against North Carolina. He's young, only a freshman, but he's a baller. He's someone who's going to do a lot of damage nationally to the college football landscape. But if you can make him uncomfortable in this game, would favor Tennessee. Otherwise, I think Kate Klubnick will have a good time cooking up. Tennessee's wide receiving core against Clemson's secondary is the last matchup that I'm watching. Again, curious about opt-outs and the Tennessee Receiving Corps. We'll talk about it when it gets here. But the Clemson secondary throughout the course of the year has been a little bit inconsistent. Played really well for the most part against North Carolina. Josh Downs still had about 100 yards, but Drake May was fairly inconsistent through a pick six. like He didn't have his best day. Phenomenal for the Clemson secondary, but they haven't always brought it week in and week out. And so my curiosity is, do they bring it in this kind of game against Tennessee? In a bowl game where both programs had playoff aspirations, does the Tennessee wide receiver you know, have the, the full attention of Clemson secondary? Because the way that Tennessee runs their offense, they spread you out as much as possible. They line their wide receivers out all the way to the tick marks and pretty much say, you got to play on an island with our guys. Are you good enough to win man coverage with our wide receivers? That's the game that Tennessee forces you to play. If you can do it, great. Forces more pressure on the run game for Tennessee to succeed at that, and that's kind of the game that Georgia won, honestly, in Athens. Able to win those matchups on an island. If you can't, though, Jalen Hyatt will go for around five touchdowns like he did against Alabama. Now, I hope Jalen Hyatt plays in this game, doesn't opt out, but regardless if it's Jalen Hyatt or somebody else, there will be a lot of the Tennessee band playing if you can't win one-on-one. So the Clemson secondary against Tennessee's wide receiving core is the final matchup that I'm watching for very, very closely. So to recap it for you, the key battles in this Orange Bowl for me with Clemson and Tennessee is the Clemson front seven against that running back stable of Tennessee. Can you take pressure off Joe Milton if you're Tennessee? And for Clemson, can you take away the run game and force it to be Joe Milton through the air? That's going to be what it comes down to. Cade Klubnick, his first start in this game, going to be a whole lot of fun to watch the young and grow as the years go on but the Tennessee pass rush if they can get to him and force him to get off schedule more often than not and make him see ghosts make him uncomfortable that would be huge because if not I think Cade Klubnik is good enough I think he's got enough talent and is further along now in this Clemson system to where he can make you pay Says so he's a freshman on paper but if you don't get to him he's going to pick you apart. So very crucial for Tennessee to get after Cade Klubnick. Lastly, the Tennessee wide receiving core against Clemson's secondary. The secondary for Clemson has been inconsistent. And the Tennessee receiving core makes you play on an island by nature of how this offense lines up. Can you win one-on-one? That's what it comes down to in this game. Can you win one-on-one on on the outside? Excited to watch it. It'll be a whole lot of fun, though. Those are my key battles in the Orange Bowl. And I can't wait for this game to get here. Hope we don't have too many opt-outs. Hope we got most of these guys playing in this game. But regardless, should be a phenomenal matchup when it does get here. Man, bowl season's almost here. But guess what? Georgia won the whole thing last year. And they're playing for a bowl game, yes, in the playoff. And they're excited for that, I'm sure, in the Peach Bowl. Like, that's great. But they're worried about the national title. They're looking to repeat. Because last year's team got the championship belt for the first time in a really long time got the championship belt. But as I watched them win the SEC title against LSU this past weekend, I just couldn't help but start to think to myself, is this team in 2022 potentially better than they were in 2021? And I'm not talking about the defense. I'm not talking about, you know, just that side of the football. I'm talking about the entire operation, offense, defense, special teams, coaching staff. Like, are they better? And I think there's some, you know, Research. That I think it's worth a second look, I guess is what I'm trying to tell you. And the reason why I lean a little bit more towards them being better in 2022 is because of the maturation and development of Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, up for the Heisman Trophy, along with Max Duggan and Caleb Williams and C.J. Stroud. Like He's up for the Heisman. I get that, and I think that's actually deserved. Maybe it's unpopular, maybe it isn't. He's no longer the Achilles heel of this program. How often did we hear week in and week out last year? Can you force Stetson Bennett to beat you? Can you make it be on 13 shoulders to beat you? And quite frankly, it wasn't really on his shoulders that much last year because you had a generational defense. And so then that conversation carried into this year. He's a walk-on. He's surrounded by a lot of talent. Can you make it Can you make it be Stetson Bennett's game? And week after week, teams have made it Stetson Bennett's game, and he's just beaten them. Georgia's throwing it over 30 times a game. They're putting on his shoulders to go and and beat beat the opposition. You can now, as a Georgia football team, win games because of Stetson Bennett. No longer are you winning in spite of Stetson Bennett. Georgia is winning because of Stetson Bennett. And I think that's really important to look at as you're comparing these teams because think about the kind of games that Georgia could win last year in terms of styles of fights. It was the defense just forces you to submit. Heck, they may score points on defense. And then Stetson Bennett will hand it off. He'll throw some checkdowns to Brock Bowers. He'll get the ball in space to playmakers. Get out of his hands quick. And, you know, one thing will lead to another. Georgia will eventually wear you out. Well, now I saw an SEC title game where LSU threw for 500-plus yards. And Georgia never was out of control in that game. There was never a question in my mind if Georgia would win that football game after they ran back that field goal. It was, okay, Georgia's in front. Georgia's in the lead. Georgia's going to win this game. It took 50 to do it but they ultimately got it done. And I don't know that last year's team would have been able to play that style of ball. Now, to be fair, I don't know if last year's team would have had 500 yards hung on them in the past game, but you hear what I'm saying here. The styles of fights now that Georgia is able to win and able to make you play, I think is a little bit more dangerous than just that one submission move they had a year ago. Now, last year's submission move was good enough for a national title, Let's not get it twisted, but the reality is Georgia's more dangerous because of Stetson Bennett's maturation and his development as a quarterback and a leader for this football team. If you have not yet subscribed to the channel, we'd love to have you at the party. We've had, Nick, probably over 2,000 of you in the last three weeks from the Georgia faithful join the party. We want you here. We want you part of the party. If you haven't yet subscribed and joined us, we'd love to have you. Now, time like the present, right? The transfer portal is heating up. Your dogs are chasing another national title. Come get on board. Come have a good time with us. Also, follow me on the social channels, at Jody Piquel on Twitter and on Instagram. A lot of interaction there that we incorporate into this program. What I said there about Stetson Bennett improving as a quarterback is important, but I think him improving as a leader is also important. And the reason why I would continue to protest that I think Georgia is better than they were a season ago, even though they got a national title last year, is they have experience at places that experience really matters. And on defense, they got like eight new starters, and three of those starters that were returning, one of them was Nolan Smith, and he's no longer playing, so pencil them in for nine new starters, I suppose. Guys that had played before, but being starters for this team is you know a, a different kind of role to be played. And so that was kind of the question going into the year was how will those guys do? Well, the defense has been phenomenal, so they haven't really missed too much of a beat there. But like I said, experience where experience matters, I think you really start to see that show in these higher stakes kind of games. Not that they aren't all high stakes, but especially in the SEC title, when we get into the playoff, we get into the national championship, you have guys in Kirby Smart, Todd Munkin, Setson Bennett, that have all been there before, they're not going to get to that stage and, and get stage fright or be like a deer in the headlights or be like, oh my gosh, this moment's too big. No, they're the most high impact spots on your team as the head coach, OC, and quarterback. And there's a steady hand. That's kind of the reality for Georgia. And quite frankly, I think that's really important as they continue to chase that national title. Because experience is something that you can't go out and just plug and play. You can go and get experience from the portal, but to have experience on the biggest stages, that's a little bit more rare more difficult to find. And so for this Georgia team, especially for the positions that I just mentioned, especially at quarterback, coach, and offensive coordinator, to have experience there and to have been in the bright lights, I think will really serve them well and cause them to be less volatile than maybe they were a year ago in that national title spot and in the SEC title game, obviously, and then in the playoff I'm excited to see it. I'm just saying, I think that makes them more dangerous. Does that experience factor? Experience where it matters. Now, here's the last thing I want to talk about when it comes to Georgia being better than they were in 2021. Anytime you win a national title or do anything of note from the year before, there's always that question around the fan base. And maybe it's internally as well. And coaches try to fend it off. Is is there going to be a hangover? Will this team be complacent? Will they get fat and happy and just kind of rest on the laurels of what they actually didn't do, but it was last year's team that did it? This Georgia team, I can say emphatically, there's none of that. There's no complacency. In fact, you could argue they have upped the ante a little bit because so much of this Georgia team, so much of it is trying to one up last year's team. And the, the term that I would put to it is like a, like a brother syndrome, not a little brother syndrome, but maybe like a twin brother syndrome, if you will. You don't want to have your accomplishments. You don't want to have your accolades associated so much with your brother. You want to be your own person. You want to be your own team. That's great your brother won a national title. Well, guess what? I'm trying to win a national title and I'm trying to do it in a different way than he did it. I'm, I mean, that's great. They won the national title. They win the SEC. We did. Our 2022 team did. How about that? Being dominant, being consistent in a different way than last year's team was, I think, drives this program. And you're at the point now where talent in the playoff, Georgia's probably the most talented team, you could argue, but it becomes less and less of a gap. Like if Georgia lines up against Michigan or Ohio State or, I mean, heck, let's just throw TCU in there. The talent gap likely won't be as much of a determining factor. Now it'll still be relevant, excuse me, it'll still be relevant, but I don't think it'll be quite as noticeable as it has before. So when you get to that point where talent isn't quite as noticeable, guess what pays the bills? It's culture and it's edge. And I think this team in some ways in spite of last year have a desire to up the ante and play with more edge and that's really I think kind of the fire internally the hunger internally, which is what I think makes them more dangerous and potentially makes someone better than they were even a season ago, which is saying something as that team won the national title. So for Georgia Stetson Bennett up in his game, you now can win different styles of games, and you no longer have the conversation around, well, can you make Stetson Bennett beat you? That's so worn out. That's so old. And newsflash, if you make Stetson Bennett beat you, he's proven many a time he will. They're mature where it counts. Mature where you need to be Mature. A lot of newness on defense, that's great. Those guys have played well and they're not playing like they're new guys, but the maturity in the big stages is going to be crucial and they have that at quarterback, at OC, and at head coach. Positions of impact especially, they have that and they have it in spades. Then finally, the edge of this team. The hunger, the culture, the the desire within this team, stuff that you can't totally quantify, stuff that you can't really watch on tape and break down to the nth degree and, and you know, really diagnose scientifically, I think Georgia has that. And I think we're going to really get to see that show itself when the talent gap becomes less and Georgia continues to throttle forward. So for Georgia, the mission is still the same, to win a national title, to repeat and all that. But I'm just saying, I think this year's Georgia team is more dangerous than the team we saw a season ago. The dogs are hunting, man. I love what Kirby said. We came here to give out shots, not to take them. I'm paraphrasing there. I probably butchered that, but that was kind of the sentiment that he communicated. I think that's that's the kind of terminology I want my coach bringing to the table. If I'm a Georgia fan, I absolutely love that. Kirby bringing the juice. All right, we got one more segment. Then we're getting to y'all in the party chat. All right, we're kicking open the door, cutting the red rope. There never was any of that to begin with. There never was any tape. This is your show, but we're really breaking that down to the nth degree. Getting in the live chat. Nick Break, Keeper of the queue about to get this party started. So make sure you get your questions in so we can answer those as effectively and as efficiently as possible. Roll, party, roll. Got a question for you. And think about this one before you answer it. Is the Heisman Trophy still Caleb Williams's? Pause for dramatic effect and for you to answer. Okay, great. I'm assuming you have your answer now. I want to unpack this a little bit because after the loss to Utah, his Heisman candidacy, I think, became a little bit less certain. Now, he's obviously a finalist. As finalists were just announced, you got Max Duggan from TCU. You have CJ Stroud from Ohio State. You got Stetson Bennett from Georgia then obviously Caleb Williams makes the fourth finalist for the Heisman Trophy. And whether you like it or not, the Heisman Trophy goes to the best player on one of the best teams. It's just kind of the way the award is right now. It's supposed to go to the most outstanding player in college football. I think you can make the case for all those guys. But the reason why I say that, the best player on the best team, eight of the last ten winners of this award – have won their conference title. The only two that didn't of the last 10 were Johnny Menzel and Lamar Jackson. So with that being said, Caleb Williams, if he were to win it, would be the third of the last 11, meaning you usually have to win the conference title to be able to bring home that little bronze trophy. Is it still his to win? Let's break it down a little bit. To give you my answer, I wholeheartedly believe Caleb Williams will still win the Heisman Trophy. Here's why. USC, a season ago, went 4-8, and meaning this time last year, they were getting ready to do their exit interviews, they were just getting familiar with Coach Lincoln Riley, who had become their new coach at this point in time, and they were making plans to watch the college football playoff and to watch the national title game and to watch bowl season. Now, fast forward the tape, bring in Caleb Williams with other transfer portal players, And they competed for a Pac-12 championship, came up short, like we already alluded to, but they competed in a game that they were watching a season ago. So you took lots of transfers, right? You took lots of transfers, but Caleb Williams is really the motor to that whole operation. Going back to this conversation around the most outstanding player in college football, sometimes I think you factor into that the most valuable and impactful player in college football to his team and USC, like I said, tons of talent. They did a lot in the portal, but I think Caleb Williams is the butter to that whole recipe. Let me expand on that. If you were to make a dish, if you were to make something, let's just use this for an example, you're making pasta, you're making uh, chicken Alfredo. That's great. If you have a nice bowl, that's great. If you have the best noodles, you have the best chicken, you have all the best ingredients, but guess what? You can't make any of that. If you don't have butter, just like USC, They had Jordan Addison. They had a phenomenal coach in Lincoln Riley. They got a lot of peace through the portal. But guess what? If you don't have your generational quarterback, USC isn't playing in the Pac 12 title game. Look at the kind of games they won. They scored over 30 in just about every game but one, meaning, USC, more often than not, had to play a certain style to be able to win certain football games. And they got a lot better as a program. They, they you know, busted some myths, I think, as the year went on with how they played defensively against Notre Dame and how they played against UCLA. But the reality is USC, more often than not, had to score 40-plus to win the football game. And the way that Lincoln Riley's offense is operated, they ask a lot of the quarterback. Caleb Williams doing a lot with his legs, doing a lot with his arm. Like A lot of USC success as a team depended on the offense, a lot of the success on the offensive side you guessed it, depends on Caleb Williams. So USC, as a team got better? Yes, but I don't believe they're playing for a Pac-12 title if Caleb Williams isn't your quarterback and produces the effort that he had to. And the other reason why I believe Caleb Williams is your Heisman Trophy winner is it's a November award, and Caleb Williams popped in November, had a total of 17 touchdowns, which is just ridiculous in the, in the month, but nobody else took the award. Like, it it was up during the month of November for a couple of guys to take home, and I don't think anybody really grabbed it. Now, some of that is due to injury, and that's none of these players' fault. Your heart breaks for them, and I don't know how much you should factor an injury to the Heisman Trophy. I believe wholeheartedly Hennon Hooker should be at least in New York for the Heisman, but he unfortunately got hurt, and that apparently disqualified him from winning the award. According to the Heisman Trophy voters, Blake Corum, More or less missed three games. Your heart breaks for him. He could have won the award at one point in time. Max Duggan on the field, I think, had a very real chance to win that award if he had been able to win the conference championship. I think that could have been the differentiating factor for him because he won the entire Hearts of America that Saturday with him bleeding from his elbow and tears in the press conference. Like, dude left it all out there. I'm a Max Duggan stand because of that game. But the reality is, didn't win the conference and didn't put up as good of numbers as Caleb Williams did. Same thing with C.J. Stroud. If he beats Michigan, they likely roll through the Big Ten championship game against Purdue, as Michigan did, and maybe he's your Heisman winner, but they lost to Michigan. He's not even playing on conference championship Saturday. So you see what I'm saying here? There was nobody that really grabbed the award. Stetson Bennett. I think there's just a stigmatism, quite frankly, around voters with how complete George is and how good players are around him. You kind of, for whatever reason, water down what Stetson Brennan brings to the table. Not here to talk about that. I'm glad he's invited. But the reality is nobody really just grabbed this award in November besides Caleb Williams, which kind of brings me to my conspiracy theory. And I can't prove this until we get some sort of data on it. I looked everywhere to see how many votes had been in before the conference title games, couldn't find it. My feeling is, with the way that Caleb Williams played in November, like I said, 17 total touchdowns, two primetime games against UCLA and Notre Dame, where he absolutely balled out, my feeling is he had a fair amount of voters submitting their ballot before that game against Utah even happened. Like, I would venture there was a fair percentage of award, excuse me, of, of voters for that award, that said, you know what, Caleb Williams has gone crazy. I've seen enough. I don't need to do any more research here, which unfortunately is a stance I think some Heisman voters take, and submitted their ballot. So all that's to say, a percentage of the award is probably already locked up before he even loses that game to Utah. Whether it's right or it's wrong, I wouldn't put my vote in just then, but that's the reality. So all that's to say, he makes USC a different team, makes them a vastly more competitive team with him coming to that roster. I don't know if you credit him for all seven wins, but they're, they're definitely not playing for a Pac-12 title without Caleb Williams. Nobody else really grabbed the award in November, and whether we like it or not, the Heisman Trophy, it is what it is. It's a November award, and he had a phenomenal November, and there was a lot of other people that had a chance to take it, and for one reason or another, weren't able to or just didn't. And with that being said, I think a lot of the votes came in early, and I think a lot of them were on Caleb Williams. So we'll see what happens. We'll wait to see when they announce it, and, and you know if he does end up lifting that little bronze statue and giving a speech. But for my money, I think Caleb Williams will win the Heisman Trophy. Now, really quick note. We're going to give our own awards out on this program. The very first program awards will be live this Thursday. Come right back here at the exact same time, 1 Central, 2 Eastern. Whether you're at work, whether you're with the kids, whatever it is, turn us on on YouTube. We're going to give you our awards for the college football season. The program awards. Not program awards, the program awards. The very first annual will be going off live on Thursday. So very excited. Uh, A part of those awards will be the hard count Heisman. So before they even give it out, before they give their official, i put in quotes, official Heisman Trophy, we're going to give you our hard count Heisman. Should be a whole lot of fun. Also, follow me on the social channels on Twitter and Instagram, at JDPakel, because the hope is to make some announcements on there as well in regards to our program awards. So it should be a whole lot of fun. Make sure you're locked and loaded with us there. Also, subscribe to the channel, because we got you covered all year round. And the portal. Is absolutely popping off. I would be surprised if we don't have somebody else jump in the portal while we're live on air. Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, Stetson Bennett, C.J. Stroud, all up for the Heisman, and uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun to watch that award be given out. I just had to make sure that we that we got in, that we knew all four, Nick, because that was bugging me at the beginning of the show, man. That was bugging me at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Sorry, Max. We, we forgot about him.
1: No, I mean, hey, Max Duggan, he was a late push. He was yeah. a late push. Also, ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, back to the program. Nick, heavy lifter break? Nick, I didn't even give you an intro, brother. but hey, I'm glad. No, it's good. Glad yeah, you're I'm back, back. on the deal, brother. I'm How are we doing?
0: I'm doing good, man. Hey, uh, JD, to start this off, uh, there's some, uh, what do they say, housekeeping we want to take care of. This is something yeah. uh, that you've kind of wanted to establish for a while. We were waiting for the right time and the, the time has come. Uh, to address this classic country revival says mm. this dude watches a lot of josh pate lol i know there's no bad <laughs> blood here um but jd anything you want to say to a uh, classic country revival great name by the way
1: no that's a that's a great question and that is something that i feel like we get a lot in in the comment section which is great like here i'll just say this josh pate is one of the best in our industry and someone that I've been able to pick his brain a little bit about even when we were independent even when I was doing this in Waco Texas in a makeshift lobby that was a studio I would reach out to him and get little different you know insight from him that I thought was helpful so all that's to say uh we get like is this guy Josh Pate with hair like that's probably the nicest thing we've gotten in the comment section whenever we get that comment so uh, I don't think that's quite the insult that a lot of people want to believe it is but no have tremendous respect for Josh Pate tremendous respect for his program, and uh, I will just say this. We are very much so, both he and myself, in the service industry. Like, we're fans of this game, but ultimately what what we do, what we get to do is service of a product for the fan. So we have, in my opinion, two programs that are pretty strong serving you, the fan. So I'm, I'm fired up that we get to be in the same sphere and get to serve the fan and get to have a phenomenal game that we get to cover that's 12 months a year that allows us to have the jobs that we have so no i, I love that though nick i'm glad that we got to address that and uh you know that the party rolls yep. on man the, the party, party rolls, rolls on. on well
0: said jd well well said my appreciate friend. it nick um so first question we've got coming from el hombre uh wants to know why no defensive or offensive lineman win the heisman award football is the ultimate team sport it's a good point there's a lot of players on the roster why is it always the quarterback
1: you know, Nick, it's it's an unfortunate reality, but the Heisman voters, a lot of them don't watch college football as intently as a lot of us do. And I say us meaning, you know, us over here on this side of the mic, but also you, the fan, the, the, the people that probably would be very qualified to be voters on this award. You know, a lot of them have other... I don't know the right way to say this. A lot of them see brands. And a lot of them see stats. And for the most part, it's, okay, best player, best team. Cool. We're good to go. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I think there may be a, a need to change the way that we give this award out because of that. Because there's a lot of players that are on the defense side of the ball that deserve the award over the past few years. I think Tyron Matthew could be a guy to give the award to, I think you know Manti Te'o could have been a guy that could have gotten the award and then also just in general like the west coast players too you find out aren't quite getting the same exposure for this award as do the players that have more viewable games like for example I'm of the opinion Christian McCaffrey was a huge snub winning the Heisman mm-hmm. trophy like he put on ridiculous clinics week in and week out the only, only issue was a lot of those voters were in bed by the time Stanford was kicking off. So yeah. it's a whole other conversation we could have, but the reality is it comes down to people that don't follow the sport nearly as closely as you and I do. And it's a quarterback award right now. Will it change? I don't know, but that's what the Heisman is right now. And we're just going to kind of have to ride this one out until we do get some kind of change.
0: Yep. Yeah, and J.D., to to kind of keep on in this subject this isn't a question anyone's asked but it's kind of a question I have for my that I haven't asked you around the office today do you think Blake quorum was snubbed because I know all season long we talked about him obviously got injured um, late in the year missed a little bit of time but uh, I mean I don't know I can't imagine leaving him off if I were a voter
1: yeah you know he so he's a guy similar to Henan Hooker should have been invited to New York the only issue with Blake quorum is, when you look at the total body of work, he more or less missed three games with, you know, I guess half the Illinois game, the Ohio State game, really outside of a couple of plays in the Big Ten title game. Not his fault. Injuries happen; they're part of the game. Of your heart breaks for Blake Corum, but it's hard to say, okay, Blake Corum, we're going to take you to New York. But Stetson Bennett, a guy who's played all of his games and, and put on a really impressive showing for his team the entirety of the season you're going to have to stay at home. I think that could be a bit of a tricky issue. So I don't know if the, the, the solution there is inviting more guys, but I have more of an issue with Hennon Hooker not being invited than Blake Corum just because of the fact, like I said, he missed as many games as he did, which is unfortunate. But So to answer your question, is he a snub? Yes. What's the solution? I don't know if there really is a perfect one. It's just kind of unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I agree, J.D. It's a, it's a good point. Um, another good question DKW, how long does Dion stay in coaching after his son's done playing? I didn't know if that was something established Ooh. already. Uh, if that's something he had mentioned. Uh, how JD, long? So, you sorry, you say DKW? Uh, that's who asked the question. Okay. okay. How long does Dion Sanders stay in coaching after his son is done uh, playing football?
1: You know, I think, just by listening to Dion, I think this is something that he feels called to, and I mm-hmm. think this is something that – if it wasn't coaching, it'd be broadcasting. If it wasn't broadcasting, it'd be something some way around the game. And so I think Dion's a guy who's a lifer and that he will be in college football. He will be in football in general until he's physically not able to. The guy lives and breathes the game. I think his energy and his juice and his passion for the game is healthy and something we need in football. I'm glad we have it at the college level. But, yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, we're going to see him in the game, whether it's college or professional, Until he can't. Now, I will say this. I am very curious to see if he has a bunch of success at Colorado and then has a bunch of success at in school, you know, insert the next school here that he chooses to coach at. I wonder if there isn't a thought to potentially take prime time back to the league as a coach, better quality of life. I would imagine the pay is pretty attractive. I know he wants to impact young men, and I know that's something that he's passionate about as well. Uh, But just something to keep an eye on if he does have the success that I think he's Mm -hmm. capable of having at the college level. So I think he's in the game as long as possible. How long will he be in college? I think progression will will tell us a lot about that. But no, Nick, that's a great question. Great question by DKW.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, next question. Uh, JH22, always asking questions about Texas A&M, this time, will A&M survive the portal? I get they haven't lost many starters yet, but they're losing a ton of depth. Obviously, there's still time to lose starters, too. But, J.D., uh, do Texas A&M survive the transfer portal here this season?
1: You know, I think the definition is very crucial on how you, you know, how you go about defining survive, right? Like, is survive, we'll still have a, a remnant of that class from a year ago, and we have – 50% we're good with that, or is Survive saying, you know, we, we want to keep the majority of those five stars. If we lose all of them, we didn't survive. A&M's going to be okay. I'll just make sure I say that. A&M has too many people that care about that program, that, you know, know what works to where A&M will just be down for forever. Like, if they don't make a bowl game next year, I'd be wildly surprised. I will say this, though. The portal shows no mercy, doesn't care about your logo, doesn't care about your record. It is coming after you. And so I'll just say the portal is going to take the majority, in my opinion, of that. I don't know how to say this best. They're going to take a lot of their talent. OK, without being too specific on who I think is going to go and who I think is going to you know, stay. I think a lot of that top talent is going to hit the portal. And I think a lot of it will be NIL related if that if that makes any sense. So yep. will they survive? I'd, I think it'll be a very different looking Texas A&M football roster okay. this time next year, Nick.
0: Better or worse?
1: <laughs> Gosh, I think it'll be better in the long run. Mm-hmm. I think it will be better in the long run, but I do think that it's going to take a little bit of time. Like, okay. I think you kind of got to knock the whole building down to reinstall a strong yep. foundation. Because talent's really solid there, and you knew there was a, a possibility that a lot of these guys that you know were unhappy or didn't play or whatever would likely hit the portal, but I think it's going to hit a little bit different when it becomes a reality. So, mm-hmm. new foundation is needed in College Station.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, Patty says, is Patrick Tony the right defensive coordinator for Florida?
1: I think so. So Patrick Tony was a guy that I studied quite a bit last offseason. And when he got hired, there was all this conversation around he's, you know, he's younger and he's, you know, coming from Louisiana with Billy Napier and, and all this, like there's a lot of uncertainty. They were bad this year, but I don't think you put a lot of that on Coach Tony. I think a lot of that is on the personnel and the lack of depth that you just straight up didn't have. Now, they got to get better on third down, and some of that is, you know, dependent on scheme. But I think once they can get their personnel in there, and the portal is going to be really important in Gainesville, once they can get their personnel in there, I think Florida will have a chance to turn this thing around very quickly. And the record is six and six, which is not a good look by any stretch of the imagination. The folks in Gainesville are not saying, okay, six and six, good year. But you had three games where you lost by one score, and nine and three. Sounds a whole lot different than six and six. So give it some time. I think they're close. But all that's to say about Coach Tony, Coach Patrick Tony, Mm -hmm. I I truly still think he's the right guy for the job in Gainesville, uh, regardless of what the numbers say right now.
0: It feels a little like I am not implying that uh, our viewer is the scapegoat, but I do think that Florida as a whole is kind of scapegoating Tony a little bit for a team that, you know, no, nothing was perfect and that it's year.
1: and it's fair too to a degree because mm-hmm. in the first year for a lot of these coaches we're seeing success like the roi yes. expectation is hey i think we should win eight or nine games mm-hmm. in the first year because you know why guy x school b school and c school all did you know Sunny yeah. dykes took over an experienced roster but he's playing in for a national championship here pretty soon mm-hmm. or in a college football playoff semifinal game at the very least so i get it but at the same time let it bake just a little bit don't throw the baby out with the bathwater in year one.
0: You're totally right, J.D. I mean, there have been, I mean, you look at Kelly, uh, you know, you go out west and look at USC, all of these first-year coaches that have just taken off.
1: The portal, man. The portal. USC hit the portal hard. LSU Mm -hmm. hit the portal just as hard as anybody else in the country, I believe. Like, the portal is a real thing. So if you're a first-year head coach or a second-year head coach to get the results you want, might be time to go to Portal Publix and get what you need. (laughs) You know what I'm Publux. saying, Nick? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know if everyone here in this chat uh, knows what a Publix is. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Portal Albertsons. Definitely going shopping. Portal Definitely Kroger. going. Shopping.
1: Yeah. Portal Aldi a lot. I mean, go to this <laughs> go to the Portal store, get what you need. If you don't know what you need, go to ask somebody in the store and they'll tell you, hey, defensive lineman, aisle seven. All right? That's kind of how this thing goes. Folks, also, if you haven't yet subscribed, Mm -hmm. we'd love to have you at the party. We do college football content every single day. We're Mm -hmm. live on Tuesdays, live on Thursdays, like y'all are live right now with us on Tuesday. Hit the bell, come back with us on Thursday because we're going to get this live chat continuing to roll. And uh, it's portal season, so I promise you, now is not the time to be taking a break. There, There is no off-season, like a lot of people like to say. So, sorry, Nick. What else we got, Big Dog? What's oh, no, we got
0: a couple more questions to ask Alex, du- Alex Duckwall. This is a great question. A lot of talk about the Georgia Bulldogs feels as if the Buckeyes are being sold short. He- Do they stand a chance in your eyes? Uh, thanks and best wishes from Alex.
1: Very fair, Alex. So, to provide some context, Ohio State got in as the number four seed after losing their last game pretty soundly against Michigan, not playing for a conference title. And Georgia is who they drew as the four seed in that semifinal game in Atlanta, a place that Georgia plays pretty well in. Essentially, it'll be a home game with some air conditioning in Atlanta for the Georgia Bulldogs. So do they have a chance is Alex's question. I think they do. With how talented that roster is and with C.J. Stroud at quarterback, they definitely have a chance. The big thing that I'm watching in this game, I don't know what the line is going to be or what the opening line is going to be. The thing that I'm watching though is how does Georgia's secondary respond after the way they played in the SEC title game? Because Garrett Nussmeyer came out there. I don't care what the score was. He was out there slanging the rock, man. Like he was throwing it all over the yard. And at the end of the day, you look up as the Georgia Bulldogs gave up 500 yards passing. Again, I don't care what the situation was. I don't care who was in the game. 500 yards passing is 500 yards passing guess what the strength of Ohio State's football team is you guessed it the receiving core Marvin Harrison jr. is a is a nominee for freak show playmaker of the year for the program awards like he's going to be a guy that has his say on this football game they line him up and get him one-on-one matchups very effectively so i'm curious to see how georgia answers the call but if there is a chance for ohio state i think it resides in that receiver room and what cj stroud can do but great question alex absolutely a chance in the college football playoff with that game against georgia
0: Well, J.D., you know, I think we got all the questions out. I asked one more. uh, Last call. Anyone have any other questions? Uh, Nothing yet, though. Um, You know what? I I see one that says, is Shiloh going to Colorado? Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. There
1: we go. Shiloh, so the question here is Shiloh Sanders, son of Deion Sanders, was at South Carolina previously, and is Mm -hmm. at Jackson State now, will he follow Deion Sanders to Colorado? Uh, I don't have any insight. I don't have any inside information on Colorado or Jackson State or what Shiloh Sanders is thinking or not thinking. My feel is yes. Like, I mean, he left South Carolina to go to Jackson State to be with his father and, and to play under Deion Sanders. I would be wildly surprised if that's not the case. I would also expect Shador Sanders, the quarterback. I mean, he all but said, that's your quarterback when he was in his you know opening press conference and Shador Sanders was there. Um, you know, we'll see. If I had to bet money, I would likely put it on Shiloh Sanders going to Colorado and joining his dad in the Pac-12 for that whole rebuild. Awesome. Rebuild, I mean, it's it's a revamp, if we're being honest, Nick. Yep. It's, a, it's a revamp if we're, if we're keeping it a buck right now. Anything else, though, Nick, that's going to uh, do it?
0: One more question. Love it. Uh, so Eric Wilson wants to have a prediction for the Orange Bowl. Eric, you're going to have to wait for that. Um, <laughs> sub it. Eric, you sub the channel, I promise yeah. you, we will get you your Orange Bowl prediction.
1: It'll be a good time. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're, uh, and then Colin Craig is always asking, um, about workout routines and stuff, Colin. We're gonna skip you. We've already we've already given you the light of day and have answered that question. Uh, Caden Lee, those our last question. Should Dabo or should Dabo get into the transfer portal? Uh, JD, what do you think Clemson needs to do this offseason?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Something that I think is gonna have to be discussed internally at Clemson, really, really in depth. Because, okay. So, to, so to answer that shortly, before I you know give this whole opinion, uh, yes. I think they need to get into the portal. And the reason why, to my understanding, Dabo hasn't gone into the portal is he is a guy that defends and protects culture. And you look across the board, Clemson is one of the best cultures in the country, creating a family environment, caring about the right things. Like That is a very special organization they have right now in Clemson, South Carolina. The reality is the way that college football is changing you need to be able to keep up with the Joneses and get some of this elite talent that's out there for the taking into your program to be competitive from a personnel standpoint. And so I say all this to say, for Dabo, I don't think you always have to sacrifice culture to add talent. Like, you can both add talent and keep a phenomenal culture. I think the process you take on the recruiting trail with high school kids is the same process you gotta take if you wanna even be a little bit more in-depth on the you know recruiting shelf for the transfer portal, go about it that way. But the reality is, if you don't adapt in this world of talent acquisition that is now available via the transfer portal, it will hurt your program. Might not see it next year, might not see it the year after, but over time, some of these top programs are going to continue to get better after signing day, getting big-time prospects in there via the portal, and Clemson will be left with, you know, whatever they choose to have in that locker room. So I think the portal needs to be a place that Clemson gets active, and, again, I don't think you need to sacrifice culture. But that's a phenomenal question. And I'll say this, Nick, I think we have the best audience in all of college football content creation.
0: I think we do. i And, J.D., I, remember, I did the last call. I, I summoned one more question. Let's we're, go. But we're getting a couple of really great questions. Let's go. I, mean, I got nowhere okay. to, to be. This is one of my favorite questions anyone's ever asked. Of. So shout out to Jeremy. Who wins the Group of Five national championship if such a thing existed?
1: <laughs> I love it. I mean, conventional wisdom would say Tulane. I mean, Tulane mm-hmm. is going to play for a New Year's Six Bowl against USC, and, you know, they'll, they'll get to duke it out. So uh, excited to watch that one. But I think Tulane is probably the group of five national champ if you had to, you know, have a, a, a gauntlet to run of sorts. Tulane. I'm, I'm taking Tulane. That's okay. a great question, though. I love it.
0: Wish I could take my Hilltoppers this year, uh, no, but I, it's not in the cards.
1: Austin Reed's going to make somebody happy though. In a playoff format, watch out for the Hilltoppers. You know, (laughs) if we get an eight-team, twelve-team group of five playoff, absolutely, Hilltoppers may make some noise. What are you saying, Nick? Is that going to do it? We got some more.
0: Um, what do you want? What do you have time? You have time for one more? I got time for one more. Let's roll, baby. Uh, Colton wants to know the Michigan Georgia final score right now. That's not. That might not even happen um
1: yeah that is that is a good question though
0: (laughs) it is a great question you asked it twice with a lot of question marks so i mean we can always oblige that question george will be favored Mm -hmm. i'll just say that how the game goes
1: we're going to withhold judgment if it gets here we'll predict it but we're going to withhold judgment on giving you a a final score for that one but george will be favored i think george will be favored by uh, i'll say opens at six and a half so right around a touchdown
0: Mm -hmm. okay Good deal. One more question. How's that? Sounds great, brother. Okay, Richard Higginbotham. uh, Was SEC on a down year this year, or was LSU coached very well? I mean, obviously, the SEC title game is almost always a play-in, except for this year, so that's a good question. Uh, What do you think, J.D.? It's
1: a fair question. I don't think the SEC is on a down year at all. Now, the way that you would, you know, convince yourself it was, is, okay, Alabama is pretty consistently a top-tier program in the country, and they didn't even win their side of the division this year. So you say, okay, is it a down year? Uh, I would say no. LSU was like a six-win team a year ago, and they were playing for a conference championship. So I think you just had a lot of different programs around the SEC up their game tremendously. I mean, Tennessee, who saw Tennessee winning double-digit games at the beginning of this year? Mm -hmm. Not me. South Carolina and Shane Beamer, I mean, they were just the dragon slayers this year. Actually beat Tennessee, but how good they were with – all the things that they, quite frankly, just didn't have going into the year. I was impressed with the way that his culture continues to churn out just big-time win after big-time win. They were phenomenal. I mean, we keep, keep it on the list here. Um, gosh, Georgia. I mean, Georgia, I, I said it before, I think they're better than they were a season ago. Kentucky and Will Levis, I mean, they made some noise this year. They weren't phenomenal, but they made some noise. So is it a down year? Maybe it's a little bit less top-heavy than we're used to, but I don't think across the board you can say it was a down year for the Southeastern Conference. And I promise you this, it's it's not going to go anywhere either. Like a lot of these programs, I think, are just getting started. South Carolina is going to get better, in my opinion. I think Tennessee is going to keep building towards something with Josh Heupel. A lot of these programs have the right coaches, and we're just at the tip of the iceberg for some of these programs that are continue to upward trend. So it'll be a lot of fun, though, but I'm excited to to watch it all as it continues to unfold. And when we get to that 12-team playoff, I'm not for it, but I promise you there will be a lot of SEC teams in that deal, Nick.
0: Well, J.D., I'm going to leave you with this. I think that the SEC, far from a down year, I just see this as the establishment of more parity in college football hmm. from top to bottom, which uh, if it's going to happen, it needs to happen now that the, the the playoffs are expanding because there are teams that are truly are great football teams that are losing because they're playing all of these great teams every week. Uh, you see Kentucky. I mean, they struggled. They lose to Vanderbilt, lose to South Carolina, all yep. these teams. Yet, you know, they tore Louisville apart. And Louisville had a very good year in the ACC, which is considered one of the best conferences. So... You know, I'm not good. never, never going to say it's a down year. I think this is just the new normal. I, personally, I think that the, anyone can beat anyone mentality is only going to get better with NIL and with the transfer portal. Uh, maybe a little bit more equal opportunity, but no, that's I, it for me, GD. I, I,
1: I think you're on the money. I think they're, they're pretty strong through the middle, like mm-hmm. you were saying. I Absolutely. Mean, I'm, I'm 100% yeah. in and the I mean,
0: you know, we're never going to see Vanderbilt Built beat Georgia, but uh, hey, never say the, never. Ne- yeah, never say you know, never. But the middle is certainly rising a little bit and is expanding. But JD, man, I'll see you Thursday. I'm looking forward to the Hard Count Award Show on love Thursday. Love
1: it, love it, Nick. Appreciate you, man. Glad to have you back. Keeper of the queue, man of the people, man of the program. Nick Break, the heavy lifter. Glad to have you back, my man. Folks, this is so awesome. We have had some of our best traffic of the entire year to this point on this live show. So here's my request. Come back on Thursday. We're live here on Tuesday talking about The Portal. We're live on Thursday, and guess what we're going to be talking about? The Portal. We're going to give out our program awards, so make sure you're locked in and subscribed and hit the bell and all that. Make sure you're following me on the social channels, at JDPakel on Twitter and on Instagram. You say why? it makes makes you feel good, sure, like that's, you know, that's part of it, but also, we do a lot of interaction there, so you hit me on the DMs, you at me, all that in a bag of chips, we're going to do our best to incorporate your questions, thoughts, opinions, all that into this program, because I say it all the time, this is the people's show, yes, I'm grateful to sit behind the mic, yes, this is an absolute blast of a job, but this is your operation, this is your show, the community we're building, this is what makes it special, and so to that We say thank you. Also on podcast, on Spotify, and on Apple, if you want to listen to this whole operation back, make sure you don't miss a minute of it. Portal season's here. Bowl season around the corner. The playoffs here. It's a 12-month sport, baby. We love it. We love you. We're going to keep the party rolling, and we will see y'all next time.